Hello, my name is Michael, and you're listening to Pharma CR. Hi everyone, my name is Sarkis and I'm a third year pharmacy student from the University of Waterloo. So for this episode, we will be discussing tips on OTC eye care with our special guest, Dr. Ralph Chu. The intended audience of this program is healthcare professionals. Please contact your healthcare provider for specific advice. Hello, I'm uh, Dr. Ralph Chu. I'm a professor emeritus at the University of Waterloo School of Optometry and Vision Science. So I want to start off by talking about preservatives. So as we all know, there are many different ingredients in a single bottle of eye drops. But when it comes to preservatives, they are often the ingredient that is overlooked. Preservatives often increase the shelf life of most eye drops for up to 28 to 30 days after opening the bottle which means patients should ideally discard a bottle after a month's use. Dr. Chu, what are some of the negative effects of using preservative-containing eye drops? The way that these preservatives work, they um, use different mechanisms to uh, destroy the microorganisms. And the problem is that when they come in contact with the tissues of the uh, front of the eye, uh, they will attack those tissues equally well. And so uh, quite often, if you have somebody who's using a drop on a regular basis for an extended period of time that has one of these preservatives in it, uh, that person's going to be complaining about maybe some uh, eye discomfort, some scratchiness in the eye. They may even have mildly red or pink eyes because of the irritation caused by the action of the preservative on their eye tissues. Preservatives can be classified into four main categories. Detergents such as BAK and polyquad, oxidants such as purite, chelating agents such as methylparaben, and metabolic inhibitors. Dr. Chu, can you tell us some of the differences between these preservatives? Uh, One of the most common preservatives is a a material called benzalkonium chloride. Sometimes it's referred to as BAK. And so you can look at the packaging or the um, information circular inside the package, uh, and it'll show that as one of the non-medicinal ingredients within the bottle. Now, BAK is probably the most common of the preservatives used nowadays. Uh, Cheap and cheerful, and it works. Uh, But the problem is, it can be very irritating. Now, more recently, we've seen the development of, uh, of a preservative called Poliquad, which is a much milder preservative. It's still equally good, but it's nowhere near as irritating. A number of drug companies have started to replace BAK with Polyquad uh, in their preparations. And again, sometimes you'll see that that there will be, say, two lines of drugs, one that's marked uh, PQ, which indicates it's got the Polyquad instead of the BAK. And those uh, tend to become uh, much, much more tolerable uh, to patients. Polyquad is actually unique compared to the other detergent-type preservatives. It tends to be less irritating because it only attracts a bacterial cell and repels the human epithelial cells in the eyes. 
Tears Naturel and Sustain are one of the many brands that use Polyquad as their preservative. Uh, the other trend that we see is uh, the development of uh, types of bacteriostatic agents that will neutralize once they're exposed to the air. So once you drop it into the eye, as it's going into the eye, it's exposed to the air, the preservative will actually start to break down into uh, innocuous substances. And again, it's an attempt to keep the bottle sterile while at the same time also keeping it bacteria free during the time that it's being stored. This type of preservative is called Purite, which is an oxidative type preservative and is typically found in the Refresh brand of eye drops. Purite tends to be less irritating than BAK and its stabilized oxychlorocomplex provides a broad antimicrobial activity at low concentrations. Patients often come into the pharmacy looking for a tear replacement supplement for dry eyes. After a while, it becomes hard to tell if the preservative in the tear replacement is contributing to their irritation. It can lead to a cycle where the patient uses the tear supplement more frequently in response to the irritation that is caused by the preservative. When it comes to artificial tears and ocular lubricants, uh, certainly uh, BAK is usually the culprit if you've got eye irritation. In that case, uh, you've got to either move the patient into a product that is preserved with Polyquad or uh, you know, put them into the uh, non-preserved uh, type uh, dispensers. What about patients who are on multiple eye drops? You really do need to look at their profile to see exactly what they've got because if, say, they're on an anti-glaucoma medication that only is available with the um, uh, BAK, uh, then if they've got dry eye as well, and a lot of them do, uh, then you'd be far better off to just put them into a non-preserved uh, or a polyquad product for the uh, lubricant right away and uh, just leave them that, that. And, you know, when they come in again, just check with them to see how they're uh, uh, doing as far as irritation is concerned. Another option is to use a product that doesn't contain preservatives. Preservative-free eye drops come in multiple single-use vials. After you apply one dose, it is important to throw away the vial since there is no preservative to prevent bacterial growth. Single-use drops are beneficial to patients who are hypersensitive to preservatives or for patients who experience irritation due to multiple eye medications. Contact lens users are also more susceptible to irritation due to preservative adherence to the lens. However, preservative-free eye drops are more expensive and can be more difficult to administer for patients with arthritis. One of the other things that uh, has come onto the market, though, is there's a, a range of products that come in uh, fairly high-volume containers that are unpreserved. And the way that they get around the problem of uh, controlling bacteria is that they're using the same kind of ultrafiltration technology that we're seeing introduced into the dairy industry with uh, ultrafiltered milk. These are very, very fine uh, filters that will trap microorganisms so that the material can be dispensed as a bacteria-free uh, drop into the eye. Any kind of microorganism that may have come into the bottle is trapped in the filter. And these turn out to be actually quite effective. And um, uh, a lot of patients who 
have been put onto that, uh, I certainly find they are much happier than uh, using some of the classical uh, drops that do have the preservatives in them. So Clear Eyes recently released a pure relief line of preservative-free eye drops with the built-in purifying filters. Although these products are not yet available in Canada, it is definitely something to keep in mind for the future. Another option for preservative-free eye drops are Hilo lubricating drops which are manufactured by Candor Vision. Hilo drops contain a derivative of hyaluronic acid, which is a compound that is naturally produced in the eye. Due to its special physical property, Hilo forms a long-lasting lubricating film on the surface of the eye. What makes Hilo unique from the rest of the eye drops is that it uses an airless application system which prevents microorganisms from entering the bottle. This system allows for the drops to remain sterile for up to 6 months after first use. For the second part of this episode, we are going to take a look at decongestant eye drops and their place in therapy. Examples of OTC decongestant eye drops are Clear Eyes, which contain nephazoline, Refresh, which contains phenylephrine, and Visine, which contains tetrahydrosoline and oxymetazoline. Most pharmacists know that nasal decongestants can cause rebound congestion when used for more than three consecutive days. However, rebound hyperemia, also known as rebound redness, as a result of decongestant eyedrop overuse, is sometimes overlooked. Just like the nasal decongestants, yes, about three days is as much as you can tolerate. Now, why is that? Well, what a decongestant does, uh, in the very basic uh, form, is it is a, uh, a substance which will act directly on the muscles within the walls of the capillaries uh, uh, and uh, uh, larger blood vessels, and what it does uh, is it causes those muscles to contract so the, the, uh, the size of the vessels goes down. And if you've got a red eye, you can make the eye white because you shrink the blood vessels down, you get rid of the red. The problem is that if you use this drug too much, say for five days, or use it chronically all the time, what will happen is that the drug will uh, basically lose its effect because what will happen is the, the uh, smooth muscle inside the vessel walls will fatigue and stop responding to the drug. And you get uh, what is uh, commonly called a rebound effect where the blood vessels have shrunk and all of a sudden the vessel muscles let go and the blood vessels uh, basically open up the blood rushes in, you get the redness back, and now if you try keep uh, keep on trying to add more of the decongestant to get rid of the red, it doesn't work anymore. I think the worst part about all of this is the direct advertising to, uh, to patients. You know, Visine gets the red out, for example, uh, which has been around for a very, very long time. And you know, these kinds of preparations do have their uses as uh, you know over-the-counter. Uh, drops for non-acute problems. But they are medications and, uh, you know, if you do abuse them, there are effects that can happen. So when would it be appropriate to recommend a decongestant eye drop? That's a really good question. I don't think I have a really good answer for you because it really depends on what has caused that redness in the first place. 
No, if they've if they're trying to recover from a bender the night before, and they've got the red eyes as a result of over imbibing, uh, that's one thing. But if it's because of um, you know an allergic reaction or an infection or something else that's going on. Um, you know, the, the worst thing is that uh, you've got some kind of circulatory problem which can be, uh, you know, symptom-free other than for the red appearance. And, uh, you know, I'm thinking about circulatory disturbances behind the eye where, uh, you know, increased blood flow makes the eye red because the blood vessels get distended. Um, those are very rare, but they do happen. If you've got something like that, you try to treat it with the... Um, decongestant yeah you'll bleach the eye but it doesn't address the fact that they've got a time bomb ticking behind the eye inside the skull who knows what that'll do you know uh, the lucky thing is that uh, most of those drops uh, you know remain within the eye and the orbit and get uh, flushed down the uh, into the nasal cavity into the gut and they don't get into circulation where they can cause more damage but, uh, you know, it, it is really important to figure out what is causing that problem in the first place. So somebody who says, oh, yeah, I, I've had this problem for a week now or two weeks, um, that's a person who needs a quick referral to uh, a family physician or an eye doctor to, to see why that eye is chronically red, because there's something wrong. Pharmacist counseling is important for decongestant eye drops because the packaging of some of these products do not caution against long-term use. There are many eye drops that are marketed as moisturizers, allergy, or even multi-purpose drops, and patients might assume that these products are safe for daily use. The problem is that patients are not aware that many of these drops contain decongestants which can cause rebound hyperemia. You know, it, it's sort of like when we had that problem with people uh, taking the anti-cold preparations and turning into, you know, taking it off, cooking it into something else, and you ended up having to move all that product behind your counter. You know, it, it's sometimes a situation where you might even want to think if some of these are becoming that problematic, maybe you need to be moving those things behind the counter too. So people have to ask you specifically for it. For the last part of this episode, we would like to go over the importance of assessing a patient's ability and comfort level with administering eye drops. Since glaucoma is an asymptomatic condition, it is important to assess compliance and address any administration difficulties. When conducting a medication review, ask patients if they are confident that they are receiving the full dose of their eye drops. This can help identify patients that may require additional counseling. The thing is that there's there's a, a whole slew of different problems that you get. Uh, you've got the problems that they can they don't have the strength to uh, to hold it, or they uh, you know their fingers are so swollen and stiff that they can't actually pick up a small bottle. Then you've got the other problem that a lot of them are queasy about actually holding the eye open and doing something on the eye. Here are some administration tips that may be useful for your patients. If the patient's having trouble getting the drop into the eye, get them to turn their head to the side or lie down. Then tell them to place a drop in the inner corner of the eyelid and open the eye slowly. The drop should roll right into the eye. If the patient is having difficulty pulling down on their lower eyelid, they can create a pocket by gently pinching the eyelid instead. 
If the patient blinks before the drop gets into their eye, they can try looking to the other side instead of looking directly at the dropper. If the patient isn't sure that they're getting the drop into their eye, they can try placing the bottle in the fridge before use. The cool drop will help reassure patients that they have received the dose. Lastly, contact lenses can be reinserted about 15 minutes after the administration of most products, and if more than one topical eye medication is used, the drug should be administered at least 5 minutes apart. You do need to work with them to uh, teach them how to do that. And sometimes in a busy pharmacy, you know, I, I see what happens in a lot of pharmacies. You've got a lot of people queued up waiting for their uh, prescriptions. And, uh, you know, this is the kind of thing where you've got to get them into a private area to teach them how to do that. Not easy to do in a lot of uh, setups for pharmacies these days. If patients continue to experience difficulties, Another option is to recommend the auto drop or the auto squeeze. These devices can help patients guide their drops into the eye or help them squeeze the bottle. This concludes our episode. I would like to thank Dr. Chu for contributing to our podcast. I hope you guys were able to learn some new tips and tricks on OTC eye care. Thank you, Sarkis. Now, in Ontario, the Ministry of Labour is investigating whether pharmacists and other professions should be exempt from the Employment Standards Act. This is an important issue as evidenced by the 348 people who submitted their comments to the college. For an upcoming episode, please send us your stories of what pharmacy policies you feel negatively impact your ability to provide the quality of patient care you are capable of. We want to tackle issues such as work environment, support staff, duration of work, and breaks as well as policies such as quotas or performance reviews and compensation models that prioritize numbers over quality of care. We also want to hear about policies that you feel are improving your working conditions and allowing you to practice to the full extent of your ability. Please send us an email at pharmacrpodcast at gmail.com or message us on Facebook. If we mention your story in our podcast, we will make sure your identity and practice site will be kept confidential. Thank you so much for listening and have a safe and happy holiday shift. Mm-hmm.